The second reading comes from the Acts of the Apostles, reading from chapter 19. Throughout the Acts of the Apostles, the author, the evangelist Luke, gives his accounting of the spread of Christianity throughout the Roman Empire, primarily by recounting the journeys of Paul and some of his preaching missions and his encounters with the churches that he served. Today's selection involves an incident that occurred while Paul was in Ephesus. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul passed through the interior regions and came to Ephesus where he found some disciples. He said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you became believers? They replied, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Then he said, Into what then were you baptized? They answered, Into John's baptism. Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Altogether, there were about 12 of them. And then from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 7, For I know that nothing good dwells within me, that is, in my flesh. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable unto you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. A Baptist and a Presbyterian minister were discussing their respective methods of baptism, total immersion or sprinkling. Neither would give an inch to the other in their debate. Finally, the Presbyterian said, tell me, if you immerse someone up to his knees, is that a baptism? Of course not, said the Baptist. Well, how about if the water came up to his waist? Would that be a baptism? Nope. How about if it was up to his neck? Certainly not, claimed the Baptist. Well, how about if you put the water over his head? asked the Presbyterian. Absolutely, said the Baptist. Well, well, you see, said the Presbyterian, isn't that little bit on the top that is what really counts? It is cold outside. Takes you a minute. Well, when I was in college, I spent a summer in Israel working on an archaeology dig and had occasion to travel extensively in the land of the Bible, including going to the traditional site of Jesus' baptism in the Jordan River. 
Now, the Jordan River is hardly a river in the North American sense of the word. It's more like Swift Creek or Falling Creek. Today, the Jordan River is barely a river at all. The Israelis divert so much of it for irrigation, only a trickle of it makes it to the Dead Sea. For we Presbyterians, it's a good thing that only the little bit at the top is what counts. Baptism is a sign and seal of church membership. Baptism is a sign that God is at work in a person's life. Baptism signifies that God's grace and the Holy Spirit has entered a person's life. So how is it that there are baptized persons running around who have no interest in God or God's ways? Why does it appear that baptism, whether it be by pouring or immersion of a child or an adult, doesn't always take? Does a change in life sometimes occur apart from baptism, so that really there are two baptisms, one with water and one with the Holy Spirit? One baptism or two? This is the dilemma facing Paul in our story from Acts. Some disciples hear Paul is in town and they come out to see him. Paul asked the believers if they had received the Holy Spirit. We probably wouldn't ask that. But we might ask, has your life been transformed through your baptism? They say they have not even heard of the Holy Spirit, admitting that their lives had not changed. Well, Paul was stumped. In his practice, baptism and life transformation always went together. The church was not yet baptizing infants, baptizing only persons ready to convert to Christianity. So Paul probes deeper, only to discover that these folks had received the baptism of John the Baptist, this baptism of repentance that we heard about in the first reading today. They had not received baptism in the name of Jesus, such as Paul practiced. Well, this is the first indication that this is likely a fictional story by the evangelist Luke, the author of Acts. Some 20 or 30 years after the death of Jesus, in a remote region of Asia Minor, Paul was not likely to have encountered some misplaced Palestinian Jews who had been baptized by John the Baptist. What is more likely is that Luke is trying to teach us something about baptism through a story featuring the early champion of baptism, the Apostle Paul. One baptism or two? Luke's answer is that there's only one baptism. Writing a generation later, the author of of the letter to the Ephesians may have had this story in mind when he wrote those famous words, there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism. When a person comes to believe in Jesus as the Christ and is then baptized in his name, God's Holy Spirit comes into that person's life and he or she is forever a changed person. For Luke, those believers who came to see Paul in Ephesus were unchanged because they had not been properly instructed and baptized. Paul, 
would also affirm that there is but one baptism. But unlike uh, Luke, Paul actually had some real-life pastoral experience to back him up. Paul knew things don't always turn out the way they are supposed to. For sure, some folks uh, have a fruitful and holy life flowing out of their profession of faith. But Paul also knew plenty of folk, himself included, for whom the Christian life is a daily struggle. So much so that at times it's hard to even affirm that God's grace is present in that person's life. Paul's words in Romans reflect the personal agonies of a person struggling to be faithful, and they describe experiences known to all of us. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. God's grace is powerful enough to change human lives. And sin is powerful enough to sabotage our best efforts at being good. We live with two great truths then, that God's gracious love for us brings us to life and to faith, and our human frailties mean that we continue to live in sin and brokenness. Through baptism, we are united with Christ, but as long as we walk on this earth, we are not yet fully with Christ which means baptism is always an act of faith. Baptism is a human response to a divine initiative. There are no guarantees in life or in baptism. We live between certainty and uncertainty. John Calvin said that baptism is an outward and visible human sign and seal of an inward and invisible grace. That is, baptism is something we do because of what God has already done. We baptize confident of what God and Jesus has done and is doing for us and hopeful of what we will do for and with God. Baptism is a time for listening as much as it is a time for speaking. We appropriately emphasize the vows taken at baptism and the visible power of the pouring of water. Baptism speaks to us. We listen. A person seeking baptism as an adult does so because he or she is listening when God speaks. In a similar way, the baptism of one's child often comes about as a result of the parents listening to the stirrings of God within their lives. The mystery of birth leads us to the mystery of rebirth. At baptism, we are all well served to listen. Listen to the stirrings of our own hearts. Listen for God. Baptism is a community event. The vow the congregation takes at a baptism is but one reminder that baptism has no meaning apart from the Christian community of the church. For it is here in the church that we find the resources for making sense of our lives. When I do not do the good that I want to do, what better place is there to turn than to people who also know that they do not do the good they want to do, but are discovering what they can do about it? 
According to liturgical theologian Gordon Lathrop, baptism as a community event is both anchored in a specific local community of believers and expressive of the global universal body of Christ. We are baptized in a particular place, a specific church, often by a pastor with whom we have a significant relationship. Baptism binds us to a community of persons we know and with whom we worship, learn, and serve. But baptism also always points us beyond this congregation to the church universal. In the words of a hymn, we are baptized in one confession, one church, and all the earth. Baptism is a declaration and a call to action. In baptism, we declare, God loves you. You are a child of God. In baptism, we declare, God loves you. Now you love one another. We declare, you are a child of God. Now be a child of God. In baptism, we announce by God's grace and love for you, you are a changed person. Now be changed. In the words that Jesus quoted from the Hebrew Bible, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and mind and soul and strength and your neighbor as yourself. Baptism is a declaration and a call to action. And in baptism, we declare there is but one baptism. And each baptism is a call to renew one's baptism vows. Persons are baptized but once in life, as an affirmation that God's grace is unqualified and unbound. We do not control what God does. We are merely privileged to announce it and bear witness to God's grace. Every baptism is an occasion for personal and community renewal, a time for each of us individually and all of us corporately to remember and reaffirm By the grace of God, I am a child of God. Now, by the grace of God, let me be a godly child of God. I close today with some words of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German pastor and theologian martyred during World War II. He was in prison for several years before his execution that came just days before the Allies liberated Nazi Germany. While in prison, and less than a year before his death, Bonhoeffer wrote a letter to his nephew and godson, an infant whom he never saw. He wrote this letter for him to read as he became older, to remember the day of his baptism. Bonhoeffer wrote in part, Today you will be baptized a Christian, All those great ancient words of the Christian proclamation will be spoken over you and the command of Jesus Christ to baptize will be carried out on you without your knowing anything about it. But we are once again being driven right back to the beginnings of our understanding. Reconciliation and redemption, regeneration of the Holy Spirit, Love of our enemies, cross and resurrection, life in Christ, and Christian discipleship. 
All these things are so difficult and so remote that we hardly venture any more to speak of them. In the traditional words and acts, we suspect that there may be something quite new and revolutionary, though we cannot as yet grasp or express it. It is not for us to prophesy the day, though that day will come, when people will once more be called so to utter the word of God that the world will be changed and renewed by it. Till then, the Christian cause will be a silent and hidden affair, but there will be those who pray and do right and wait for God's own time. May you be one of them. Dear friends, in baptism, boys and girls, women and men are called to be God's children and sent to bring God's peace and love into a dark and despairing world. Today, by the grace of God and through the power of the Holy Spirit, may you be one of them. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen.